Hi, and welcome to Unconditional Love Ministries with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 32, recorded November 27, 2012, My Glory. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Ministries, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. This audio podcast is sponsored by Liquid Networks and Web Vision Graphics, providing quality, affordable websites and website hosting to your small business, church, ministry, or nonprofit organization. We understand how the web works, so you don't have to. Get your free quote today by visiting www.webvisiongraphics.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And it is just another joy to be able to sit down with you tonight and to share with you the Word of God. And again from Psalm number 3, and looking at verse 3, I think we've read these verses enough that we can go straight to verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. David, at the time of his extreme need and loss, says of the Lord, you are my glory. And that's a, a phrase that might not resonate immediately with every one of us. So let's get into this word glory. What does it really mean? You see, Everywhere you go in Scripture, especially in the Psalms and then the New Testament, but it's also in the Prophets, you will read of the glory, the glory of God specifically. And so this is a word that spans the Scripture. What does it mean? I think it's very important we understand this. Um, Actually, at the root of the word, it means weight, weight, weight. and we we would actually use it, in fact, I, I think we use it in the U.S., where we speak of a person who's in charge, who's listened to, uh, we say he carries a lot of weight around here. Uh, that is rather remote from the meaning of the word, but yet it carries in it the idea, because it, it's a weight upon the shoulders of a person, a weight of honor. Um, a weight of majesty. It, it means um, that the person's character and their achievements, um, the position they hold, they carry with it a certain weight, and we call that glory. The per- it speaks to a person's worth. It speaks to their significance, and, and it, it speaks to their position in society in relation to other persons. Um, it also would be used in terms of uh, so-and-so made a name for themselves. Well, that word name, as it's used there, would speak of this word. It's glory. They've got a name. We might even say today they're a household word. Uh, they, they, They bring with them a certain honor and weight of presence and position and achievement It's their glory, to use this biblical term. And in the scripture, it also is used to describe the radiance of light. And so when glory is spoken of, 
There's a number of times when in the same sentence uh, referring to the glory, it speaks of a radiance, a light, a blazing force of light. And that light reveals and manifests as if the, the, the character and the achievements are of such a nature. They cast a light, a radiance. Now, most of the time in Scripture, it speaks of God's glory. And so take everything I have just said and take it to unlimited and infinity. You see, when we speak of glory in terms of a human, we are always insinuating into the conversation human opinion. Uh, a, a person's glory, a human person's glory, depends upon the opinion that others have of that person and of what they have achieved. You could say that human glory comes almost by popular vote because people will speak of that person's honor, their majesty, the, the weight of their character and achievements, and it's their opinion that that person has glory. But when we come to God, nobody votes. When we come to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're not talking of human opinion. Uh, he is the glory, and he's the glory whether we like it or not, believe it or not, vote for it or not, or hold that opinion. He is, and that we come back to that word that we have so often um, made reference to, that um, we, we, God is, he doesn't merely have, this isn't something that's appended to him, he is. And so when we come to God's glory, we are speaking of his very essence, his very person, glory. And what is that glory? Do I have to tell you? God is love. And that is the glory of God. That is the outradiance, the shining force of God, his love. And, and all, shall I say, the, the, the sub, uh, titles of that love. I speak of his compassion. I speak of his gentleness. I speak of his kindness. His love, his goodness. This is the glory of God. But in when we speak of his love, as you know, we're not speaking of a souped-up human love. This is God love. And God love is also God power. God's power is love, and God's love is his power. That is, when God wills, God is the power to achieve his end. And so his love is all powerful love, even though that power does not look like human power, for the power of God was finally made fully manifest, his love power fully revealed at the cross. And we see God in our humanity hanging, battered and bleeding and crucified. And there it says is the power of God, power of God. Now it's the glory of God. In fact, Jesus spoke of his going to the cross as now, he said, finally, that what he is about to do now, the Father is glorified in the Son and the Son is 
glorified in and by the Father. And he was speaking of the cross. We have to understand that. God's power is not sort of raw atomic explosion. God's power is his love for us. And that is his glory. That is the majesty, you could say. That is wherewith he is clothed. Therein are the jewels and the diamonds of his person, the radiant. And, of course, that glory, that love is spoken, revealed inside our humanity in God the Son. He's called the Word, the speaking out of that love. And so Jesus, God the Son, called the Word. He came and he fully revealed the love the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have toward us. It's Jesus is the focus then of the glory of God. You see Jesus and you see the glory of God. And let me emphasize also that this glory is not abstract. When we speak of the glory of God, we're not talking about some vague idea that we have about God. Again, we come back to is. God himself is his glory. And so when we speak, when we read of the glory of God, we are speaking of the personal presence of this one who is unlimited honor, unlimited worth, unlimited significance, unlimited majesty. He who is, and therefore I I hesitate even to use the word, but of unlimited character, for he is the love that makes up all that we understand of God's glory and his unlimited achievement in that love has become flesh and achieved his end. God, that's his glory. And his glory, if you follow me, the glory of God is first understood that he willed to create the universe and willed to place within that universe humankind, and willed that they should participate in his glory in and through the Son of God, Jesus. That that was the purpose from the very beginning. Jesus didn't just show up a lot later. He was always the, the intention That's the reason God created. But I I say that's the glory of God. Do, Do you hear me? God's glory. I mean, this love that God is, this radiating love that he would choose for no other reason but the love that is within him and is him, he chooses to create another one other than himself, in order that he may actually embrace that other, let his glory be upon that other, and that that other may participate in his glory, share in his love. And all that, that God did not have to do that. But love said that he would do it. 
And the tragedy is that humankind, who was so created, it says, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's sin. Not all the other trivial stuff people talk about. Sin is that we have fallen away from God's incredible purpose that we, through God the Son, should participate in God's glory. That's why we're created. And we fell away from that. Fell away. That's sin. Well, what are you going to do? A person such as Adam, such as Eve, who lived in that glory, lived with that glory caressing their innermost being, and now it is gone. They, they have divorced themselves from that glory. They've become blind to the glory of God. And they become now focused upon their nakedness. That they feel stripped of glory, which they are. So what do they do? They make a substitute. Isn't it amazing? Their substitute glory was fig leaves. I mean, if it wasn't the greatest tragedy within creation, it would be the biggest joke. That the glory of God is replaced by fig leaves that will be faded within a few days. And ever since that day, mankind has sought to put upon himself trappings that will in some way signify, at least in his eyes and the eyes of his or her society, signify some sort of worth, some sort of significance that I carry weight around here and cover ourselves with jewels and flashy stuff because there is a memory of the race that tells us there was a time that we were radiant with the love of God. And now we put on anything that might be any way a sort of remembrance of that. And we, we grasp after some sort of honor and majesty. You, you might be aware that this generation has an addiction to, you could say, fame or being famous. And the tragedy of that is they don't care how they become famous as long as everybody is talking about them. Because it is the mentality of many in this generation that if I could only have millions of people who would say that I'm good, that I'm great and I'm wonderful, then I would finally know what it is to be loved. If only they would talk about me good things, then I will finally find my worth and my honor, my glory. Um, that, that's the way it is. Of course, all of this is just cosmetic. The glory of humankind for which we were created is our union with God's glory. And anything else is but a, a sham. It's a, we, we became 
I've used this in, in the past. We've become bent people. If, if you could see it, we were created to be face upturned, a whole being upturned toward God in his love glory to receive that glory and to reflect it in life and behavior into creation. But what we call the fall when sin entered, mankind became bent. Instead of upturned face, his face went down. Down where? To creation. Instead of looking straight up into the face of the Creator, mankind is now looking down at his fellow humans, seeking glory, affirmation, love from them. Mankind is seeking that great emptiness within to be filled from the faces, the looks of affirmation that come from fellow humans. Tragedy, tragedy. Mankind has become a comparing creature, ever comparing with another. Because if I can perceive myself to be better in some way, any way will do, better than another, then I perceive that to be sort of glory to me, that I am not like him and I'm not like him, I am better than and therefore I have this, it's not, I was going to say substitute glory, but it's not even a substitute, it's so pathetic. Because the glory of God and this is really when his glory shows. The glory of God is that he continued to love us even though we had turned our face away from him. And we never knew that the glory of God was so glorious until it was directed toward not just a creature, but to a creature that had turned away from the Creator. Now we see, now we see, this is love that we have no words for. This is love that is glory indeed. This is who God is. Now, I hope you've got a general idea here of where what the word glory means and where we all stand in relation to that. Now, David, back to the psalm now, David, King David, at this time in his life, which he was in probably in his 50s, um, he had, over his lifetime, he'd gathered to himself everything that we might call glory among humans. David, uh, in the midst of this world, and a king in the midst of his own people, and a king in the midst of other nations, he carried the weight of honor. He had the status of majesty, king, He had the authority given to him by the people. He had the power for the people obeyed him. When David walked, the people bowed. 
He had all the accruements of honor with servants, with clothing that was of such a character that it described a person of honor and majesty. And he had jewels, real jewels, around his person. He lived in a magnificent house, which was another way of describing the glory that he had. And the opinion of the world and the opinion of the people was all David is a glorious king. You could say, speaking of David in another way, that he had made a name for himself. And when people uttered the name of David, then there was due respect. And now, and if you've been with us in the last weeks, you know the story that all of that, all of that was gone just an hour after breakfast, you might say. I mean, when he got up, it was another day living in the glory of being the king. And by noon, it's all over. I mean, this is tsunami talk. This is hurricane plus northeaster talk. I mean, everything has gone He has nothing left. All of his status, all of his authority, all of his power, all of the clothes that describe his glory, his money, his jewels, gone, swept away. A flood has poured through his palace and stripped him of everything just with the news that his own son is coming to kill him. And he's got all the people with him and no one standing with David. In fact, the people are now voicing a very different opinion of David. They've withdrawn their vote that said he is glorious. And they said there is no deliverance for him in God. It's all gone. Gone in a moment. His name is gone. And as he walks up the Mount of Olives, if you remember the story, the the chappie there is throwing stones at him and cursing him. And, And David is so low that he says, maybe indeed the man is speaking the truth of God. And he is dressed in sackcloth as though he's going to his own funeral. It's all gone in a moment. How does a person feel? when they've lost everything like that. Gone. And and I know that I'm speaking to some people who woke up one morning and you looked at your stocks and realized you'd lost half your life savings, if not all of them. And others who have packed their bags and walked away from the house and others that have received the Notice that they're no longer the CEO of the company and you no longer have a job and so on. Yeah, what do you do when all those things that are part of human glory, what what do you do when it's stripped away from you? That there's a certain paralysis. You can't think. You can't imagine the future without the way it's been in the immediate past. 
There's a certain horror that grips you like ice-cold fingers around your heart. And there's a fear of what the future holds, if there is a future indeed. There is a despair that borders on plunging into depression. There is a sense of shame. You can hardly look your neighbor in the eye as if you deserved all this. And then sometimes when the ice thaws, there is anger, there's rage, there's revenge. Someone's going to pay for what they've done to you. I am sure if I read that story of David, I can hear some of that. I can feel it. But this, there's that but in the psalm. Verse 3, we've referred to it more than once. This is a but that is in David's deepest being, his true person. But, yes, David did not define himself. He did not define his true inner self by the outer stuff and the outer things. He didn't define himself by what other people had been saying about him. You see, when a person defines themselves by the accolades that others give to them, when when a person will say, this is who I am, and be speaking of their title, their job, their salary, their house, their cars, their boats, and say, this is who I am. Now we've got a problem. Because when all that is suddenly gone, well, a kind of death takes place. Because if that's who I am, and it is not, then I am not. And that is when such a situation as this becomes terrifying. No, David, do you hear me now? David did not define himself by the size of his palace. He didn't define himself by the ermine cape upon his robe or the jewels that bedecked his person. That was not David. He was, what shall I say, he was resting in the glory that came with his possession, the glory that came with all his achievements. But David, and this makes David who David was, David never defined himself by that. And so when all the people shouted and says, hooray for David, David knew that what they said didn't make him who he truly was. Because when all this happened, and indeed when he was shaken like any other human being, but when he takes stock, when he enters into stillness, and he leans into and rests in to who he really is. When all the money's gone and all the position is stripped and I don't even have a roof over my head and my chariots, which would be your Rolls Royces of today, when it's all gone, who am I? That's a question that could keep us awake for a few nights. 
And he responds as he is now pouring out his inner being to God. That's what they're saying. I.e., they've stripped me of the glory they gave me. But, 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 that's his salvation, but. That's, uh, that one word, but, it takes me into the heart of David, and now I know who this man is. Now I can understand all his achievements, because there was so much more to David than outer stuff. He, he had so much more that, than just the cosmetic additions to his person. He says, but they can say what they want, their opinions be what they will, and do what they will, and leave me where they will, but, 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 you are my glory. Do you get it? What a key to a life. You are my glory. Everything I had when I got up this morning, Though I enjoyed every minute of it, was not my true glory. It was just there to enjoy. My glory is you, O oh my God. You are my glory. And notice how it's said. I, uh, it's very important. But thou, I mean, that's, you know, but thou emphasized, thou, O oh Lord Yahweh. The one we're going to know as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Thou art, or you are, present tense, now, my glory. Thou, you, are my glory. Let me put it like this. He was not simply piously mouthing a report. He is not saying God is glorious. He's not saying God is love. Of course, obviously, there is a time for that. But this is not the time for that. He's, he's not merely making a statement, shall I say, a report concerning who God is. Please hear me. This is so simple and yet it's profound. He's not just saying God is love. He's not just saying God is glorious. He is saying that he, 101% human David, is actually joined to and participating in God's glory. Do you hear me? There's a big difference between saying God is love or you are love. That's very proper in another context. But here David says, you are my glory. Do, do you hear me? You, God, in all your glory, you, you are my glory. So that David, creature David, mistakes-ridden David, but he says, you, O oh God, you 
of my glory. I am actually participating in your glory. So he he is saying that this limitless, unconditional love that God is, that now that love is one with David. Do you see? He's not making a report about God. He is declaring that he is now actually one with that love which is the glory of God. And that love is revealed in David and in this situation. And it didn't matter then. The opinion of the world was there's no hope, there's no deliverance for him in God. He's finished. God's thrown him under the bus. And David is saying, but thou, O God, you are my very life. You are You who is love, you are love toward me, around me, and in me, and through me, and by me. It doesn't matter what the people say. It doesn't matter that on this planet I've lost everything that said, um, you know, I'd made a name for myself. Because that never defined me in the first place. That was merely something I enjoyed, but it would never defined me. You are my definition. Joined to you, oh my God, your love actually joined into me so that your glory is my glory. We're joined, we're one. God's love is covenant love. It's It's covenant mathematics. One plus one equals one. Or as Paul was yet to say in the New Testament, for me to live is Christ. I live, yet not I. It's Christ who lives in me. Two, who remain two, have become functionally one by sheer grace, by sheer gift. You see, um, What David is actually doing here, he's intentionally turning away from the words of the people, the opinion of the people that say he's finished, the opinions of the people that have gotten inside his head, and he's hearing those words, they're in his head as, as his own thoughts, that's what it sounds like anyway. And by turning away from that, I I bring this in because you mustn't get the picture of David as some superhuman that just doesn't, you know, as soon as this happened, he says, oh, well, God is my glory. No, no, no. This man goes through the anguish of loss, especially that it was coming from the hand of his own son. But by the time he gets to write this, he has... And maybe in the act of writing this psalm, he intentionally, he turns away, turns his attention away from the reports of the people, the opinions of the people. He he wasn't denying it. In fact, he states it as he converses with his God and tells him this is what they're saying. This isn't denial but a deliberate turning from their opinion to God.
God's opinion. He looked beyond what was happening to the God who never changed. And he listened beyond the reports of the people, and he listened to what God said. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therein is his glory. See, the the words ring in our head, the opinions of people, and, and, and our flesh sends in reinforcements to that. It becomes our own opinion of ourself. And, and Satan, the accuser of the brethren, sends in his cohorts. And, and, and so they're, they're thoughts in our head. And they, they, it's a, that's a very sort of basic statement. There's no help for him in God. We've, it might come out in different ways, but that's what the accuser, and that's what my flesh, and that's what people say. There's no hope, no hope for him in God. And these words going around and around in the head. And David chooses, chooses, I say. That's what I'm, I'm trying to say. You, know, you, you just don't drift into this. You choose. Faith chooses to declare against all the other words in his head, chooses to declare, even though he's still hearing the other words, but he chooses to declare the truth. He chooses to replace the opinion of the people with the thoughts and opinion of God. I know what they're saying. What is your opinion? What are your thoughts about me right now? Which, of course, he knew the answer to. He, David, is dwelling in God's glory, and God's glory is dwelling in him. And remember, glory is his love. That is the honor of God. Man's opinion and everything that we've gained in our interaction with humans, man's opinion changes sometimes by the minute. The person who was the darling of the people yesterday is the refugee from their hatred today. But God's opinion is as steadfast as his very self. He never changes. He's never going to walk out on you. And he's never going to stop loving you. My glory. Yes, David, what, what, what is your glory? It's that, you see. Whatever they say, whatever things look like, however it is that I'm feeling right now, I do not define myself by my feelings. I don't define myself by what they say or what has happened. He said, I declare the truth. I'm not defined by my own opinion of myself right now. I'm not defined certainly by what they think. I am defined. I am David because of God's intention to bestow his love upon me. Look, put it this way. When we talk of worth, significance, this stuff the kids are talking about, they want to be famous. Famous in the true meaning of the word. Where does it come from? 
Where does worth come from? Where does significance come from? And as I say, humankind has become bent. We bend over and look in the faces of those around us. And do they admire me? Do they think I've made it? Do they think I'm the cat's meow? Had they seen my house? You know how people are. They've got to tell you the size of their car and their boats and everything else. They, because they're, they're looking, they're bent over, looking in your face, and they're seeking you to affirm them and to give them glory. That's the way humans are. No, we're, we're bent people. And, and then, as I said before, we compare compare and then my own thoughts kick in and I give myself glory because I'm not like him and I'm not like him no glory worth meaning to life significance in life is a gift it is bestowed upon us by the creator for when God says I love you and when God says that he has come in our humanity and has purchased you and I with his own blood. He has put worth upon us as a gift. It's a gift. He didn't say you're worth something because you've done this and done that and done the other. You're, you are worth because I say so. God says you have worth because I bestow my love upon you freely. I include you into my family. Now I have worth, but I didn't find the worth by looking in the mirror. No, if I look in the mirror, well, forget that. If that's all I've got, if that's all I've got to look in the mirror, there's no worth, no glory. And if I bend down and look at the faces of my neighbors and those I work with and and say, please, tell me, am I any good? Would you, well, would you smile at me, please? Give me some glory. Make me feel okay, accepted. No, you can cut that out. Then I realize my worth is the great gift of God my Father through God the Son who told me what it was all about and the Holy Spirit who comes and actualizes that within me and resonates the love of the Father through me. Now I can look at this situation quite differently. I, I still feel the anguish of it but I haven't lost my glory for my glory was not there. My glory was in the God who is my glory. You see, I, I said if you look in the mirror, you won't find glory there. And you won't. We, we are incredible. We have a certain glory of our own because God made us. And we are incredibly, or as the old Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made. But we were made to contain and be in the embrace of a greater glory than our incredible brain and incredible machine of body. So in that sense, the glory we're talking about, you won't find it in the mirror. And if you're going to start 
looking in the mirror and telling the fellow or girl in the mirror, you know, you did this and you did that and you, well, all that can be blown away in a moment. This is what I'm trying to say. That which in itself or in himself or herself, they have no inherent glory. But when united with him who is glory, then we who have no inherent glory in ourselves are made glorious. Let, let me give illustration. Um, in England, I, I was in Stratford-upon-Avon, and there was a little house there, and I mean a little house. It's, it's not the sort of place you'd buy today. Um, the doors are too small. It, it, it looks um, as if it was built for a hobbit. Uh, but uh, People were lined up outside and paid money for the privilege of going inside. Why? Because that was Shakespeare's house. And everything is there just as it was in the days of William Shakespeare. And so what would, under normal circumstances, be just a very old house, which under the circumstances of today would not be livable. But because of its association, its uniting with a person who has fame, the house takes on the glory of whatever glory Shakespeare had. You understand what I'm saying? In Oxford, in England, there, there is a pub there. And in that pub, there is a table, quite large table. And around that table during the 1940s and 50s and 60s, there sat the most prestigious writers and literary giants of the day. The author of Lord of the Rings sat there at that table and drank a pint of beer. And C.S. Lewis dominated that table at the same time, along with Dorothy Sayers and others. And that table, every Thursday they came and they sat at that table and they talked of what they were writing about. And that table now stands in that pub over there and, and, and it, it has been made with a certain glory now because of those that sat around it. And when I walked in the pub, the, the chap behind the counter looked at me, so I wasn't local, and he just pointed. He said, the table's over there. The, the table now was a place where tourists come just to look at it. It was glory because it had been united to persons of certain fame. Okay, into the scripture, there's an old tent that they carried through the wilderness, but it was revered because inside that tent there dwelt the glory of God, the tabernacle. And when they finally built a temple in Jerusalem, it became a building set of part because the glory of God came to dwell within the building. 
Do you get the picture? I mean, in ourselves, we have no more to glory in than Shakespeare's house, leaving Shakespeare out of the picture. But it says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The glory of God dwells now in you, not in a tent in the wilderness, not in the temple, but dwells in this temple. Please hear me. This is the truth of what the gospel is, that now the glory of God dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. And there is a, and there is a certain radiance about you that human eyes normally can't see. Glory of God. The love of God has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit. And as I quoted earlier, Christ in you, the hope of glory. For you to live is Christ. You live, yet not you. It is Christ who lives in you. You get the picture. This is the gospel. And so suddenly, what a person would be just in their body and a, you know, you add up a person's life. And especially here, we live out here in the hills of Texas. And there are some people that have, I mean, if they went to San Antonio, which is 40 miles away, if they went to San Antonio, that would be the, a lifetime event because they've never really been outside this place. Uh, and they, they just uh, go to the same store every day. And I mean, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. And they work with the cattle and they work with the horses and, that's life. And you say, where is the meaning? Well, you see, as far as human beings go, and as far as fame and glory go, yes, I'm, I'm sure there's, they would say there's not much. But I know some of these ranchers, and Christ lives in them, and the glory of God is upon them, and they bring that glory to every part of their life. For that is what a believer is and what a believer does. Salvation. Well, we talked about this the other week. But salvation, please just let me say it again, is not to go to heaven when you die. Salvation is that heaven now, through the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in embryo within us. And death or the second coming of Jesus, whatever, is the consummation of that glory that has already been placed within us. And we are now living in that glory. Look, let me read to you. It's in Second Corinthians in chapter 4. Um, and he's talking about this glory. So let me spot read it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll start with verse 3. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, that is, if you can't see what I'm talking about, it's veiled to those that are lost, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone into our hearts, 
to give to us the light of the knowledge or the union with and of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure, this glory of God treasure in earthen vessels. He said, an old clay pot. Some of us are getting a bit cracked as a clay pot. But he says, you have a treasure. You, 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 you have the glory of God within the old clay pot you call your body. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power of God, the glory of God may be of God, not from ourselves. And so on and so on. Do, do you get the picture? This is who you are. This is who I am. This is what gets me excited day after day. So, have you got it? We, we never define ourselves. When I say, you know, in a serious moment, who are you? I, I won't get techy with you. I mean, if I said, who are you? And you said, you're an electrician. I know what you mean. But if we really get down to hot business, and I say, who are you? If all you can tell me is you're an electrician, we, we have a problem. No, that's what I've been talking about all evening. We do not define ourselves by our work, by our achievements. We don't define ourselves by other person's opinion. We don't even define ourselves by our own thoughts about ourselves because they're not altogether trustworthy either. We define ourselves. We dare to think God thoughts. We dare to rest into the opinion of God concerning us, which has been revealed in Jesus Christ and witnessed in us by the Holy Spirit. So, in the middle of this crazy world where all over the globe, people are losing everything. This is the time to be still, to take stock, and really answer the question, who am I? Some, apart from my house, apart from my riches, apart from my possessions, apart from the opinion of people, who am I? Who am I? I can only be defined as in Christ Jesus, joined to him. He who is the glory of God. And he is in the Father, and I in him in the Father. And all of this made actual within us by the Holy Spirit. Let me say this, um, as I might have said the other day. I forget where I say things, but... There are people today who are preparing for a doomsday event of some sort in the future. Um, I also prepare. I have enough food stocked. Nancy especially has stocked up enough food for a long time because we anticipate in such a day there'd be a lot of people around here that we could feed in the love of God. And um, yeah, I, I believe in preparing I think the Bible teaches that. But if all you prepare is food, and which we don't, 
Um, but if you prepare a stockade in which to keep other people out, um, you haven't even begun to prepare. Any preparation for any future, whatever that future may hold, begins right here. Because in such a day, when all that we thought was stable is thrown into chaos, if ever such a day comes, you'd better know who you are in Christ Jesus. And it's to that end that I share this with you. David said that but, which is the key to his life, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. Well, we'll get to that next week. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, O glorious Father and Son and Holy Spirit, His blessing rest upon you this day, that you shall know the glory of God in Jesus Christ, and now you joined in with him to walk in that glory and to be that glory reflected into the world. So I bless you, and so it is. Amen.